0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas. I am talking with Dr. Daniel Berger. We are at lifeovercoffee.com. I had finished a conference in uh, Calgary, Canada, and I had a list of questions as we typically do when uh, I do a conference. We love Q&A. We want to know what the people are thinking. As I told them, I don't want to sit here in Greenville and craft out a keynote presentation as though I know who these people are and I know what they are thinking. Conferencing in that and that vein is... It's like counseling. You never know what you're going to get. And so uh, you want to uh, be nomadic and you want to craft and have have as much structure as appropriate, but you also have to be willing to flex and be spontaneous too. And so I did have these presentations ready, but once I got on site, things began to zag just a little bit because there are no two churches that are the same. And so having Q&A is very helpful for me to serve our congregations wherever uh, I am t- teaching, it helps me to understand them and then also teach in a way that's appropriate to where they are as a church, as a culture, and as the individuals that make up that local body. Well, uh, they gave me a lot of questions, uh, and typically we walk away with a stack of index cards. And so what I did is I answered as many as I could, as time would allow, and then we ended up with 23 more questions on medication, disorders, the DSM-5, etc. And so I asked my friend Daniel if he would be willing to answer uh, these questions rather than me for several reasons. One, he's a lot smarter than I am. Number two, he's well-studied. Uh, in uh, these, all these things here. And then also, I wanted them to uh, hear another voice because this is such a huge topic. Uh, what Daniel speaks to a lot, and as I told them in Calgary North or North Calgary. That uh, he's he's the foremost apologist in my view uh, on this topic, and I recommended his books up there. I saw several people making notes to uh, specifically his five-part series on mental illness. But I am going to list his books in the show notes to these two episodes. This here is part two, and so Lord willing, we will get through questions seven through twenty-three, uh, and if not, we'll just keep on trucking, and and we'll do we'll do what we do. Uh, But I trust that this will be beneficial. If you haven't watched part one, those questions were just hugely important. They'll be valuable to you and your friends. And so I would just encourage you to listen to or watch that video, uh, the first uh, uh, six questions. And again, I'll have all the questions listed in the show notes so that you can read exactly what I'm sharing with Daniel. Daniel, welcome back.
1: Thank you. It's good to be back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's like you've never left. That's right. All right qu- question number seven. If I have free secular counseling, in air quotes, uh, while I can't afford $200 Christian counseling sessions, But make sure to apply biblical discernment to any secular advice. And so this is a pragmatic question. I can't pay for Christian counseling. I can get secular counseling probably because of the, as you know, the DSM-5 is is not just a label. It's also an insurance code. It's a coding label uh, to where they can get uh, free counseling advice. And so I can't afford $200 Christian counseling sessions. And so what about if I get secular counseling and then I will run it through a biblical filter?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, that's a loaded question too. So uh, let's, let's start with, you know, what, what is the goal? What, what, why are we going to counseling in the first place? Is it just getting counseling is going to be helpful, therapeutic, whatever word you want to use. Um, I would say, essentially, there's there's two goals. One is um, a biblical redemptive goal, and that is I need to be changed. My my spiritual nature needs to be changed, which is why I'm going for counseling. Um, that, that may be I need to, you know, I've been through a traumatic event, so I need to look at this through a biblical lens and understand the suffering that I'm going through. Um, it may be Uh, A relational issue, and you know, whatever reason we're going to counseling, there's if it's a redemptive focus and a redemptive desire, then going to a secular counselor is not going to do any good. Um, If it's a behavioral thing, in other words, I just want to change behavior. I want my son to make better grades. Uh, That's a different goal. Um, obviously, I think in a biblical counseling situation, if we're handling a child that's struggling academically, we too would desire that a child perform better, that they that they truly make better grades. That's not a bad desire. But the goal is to be more glorifying to God, more conformed to the image of Christ, to have the mind of Christ. You know, all, all the things that the Bible lays out are, are of eternal value, and the effect will be a higher grades. The effect will be uh, giving, you know, what, whatever the hand finds to do, doing it all to the glory of God. So I, I think establishing what the goal is in counseling is number one. Uh, so if if you're if you're desirous to do to do what God says, what we would say is true biblical counseling. I don't see how you can do it do that with a secularist. Um, sh- certainly, you can r- uh, learn cognitive behavioral uh, concepts and and how to repeat things over and over again. But again, that's that's limited to behavioral changes, and if that's the desire, then certainly there there can be some behavioral um, uh, benefits there. Uh, but again, you, you're also dealing with a humanistic lens. Uh, almost every therapist has uh, their their humanistic approach. Now, if they're a Christian, certainly they could try to incorporate biblical principles, etc. But uh, the entire government system is built on a humanistic. Uh, Worldview—that's the presupposition. So um, it it has to be in that regard. If you're going to marital counseling, for example, a biblical model cannot be presented in most states. Uh, that's why I personally could not get licensed because uh, you have to sign off that you will not advocate a biblical view. And so you're you're going to run into there, there's no there's no way to just simply take you know, there's no neutrality if I can say it that way. It's not just walking in and saying, hey, if I buy baklava from a secular uh, restaurant and go home and eat it, you know, is, does that make it not Greek or does that make it not, you know, Middle East or whatever, uh, wherever you're buying it from. Um, it doesn't work that way with, with moral issues. And so that, that would, that would, I, I think would, would be both the presupposition and the goal have to be considered in what you're doing, what you're doing. And we could elaborate on that, but I think that's a simple answer.
0: Yeah. And there's a little bit of irony laced in that question too. Uh, but it. If I can make sure to apply biblical discernment to any secular advice, if I have right. that biblical discernment, I would just use that and not insert that right. unneeded right. hurdle to jump over, just not even get the secular advice at all. And so uh, I would want to grow in biblical discernment, biblical application. I would also want to check uh, with my pastor or a, a person who's competent in the application of God's word. This question, there's enough in this question that could imply that I could do this myself. And of course, the Bible would teach that it it has what we need for life and godliness. Uh, And so, but I understand uh, it's a good question on the face of it, uh, because there's an embedded tension in it as well. Uh, If I can get Christian counseling and and use a biblical filter, sure. But if you have a biblical filter, why not just do the biblical counseling yourself, so to speak?
1: Yeah, I th- I think the question stems from you know, and I'm reading into it, but I, sure. I I think what they're keying in on is that if you take music therapy or you take cognitive behavioral therapy, there's there's truth presented there that if you change the way, and I, we don't change, but I'm saying if someone is able to change the way they think, their behavior will change. And we've talked about this, I know in video, previous videos, but it's worth repeating here that 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 is a that's how god designed it so it's not that seculars are coming up with some some truth in their therapy they're essentially just following god's design of how you you think affects you know if you have faith then your works will show that faith without works is dead as just a quick example and so i think what we do many times as christians is go well there's there's some truthful elements to secular counseling therefore can we benefit from the truthful elements And I would just advocate again, we have a superior, there's no need to water down the truth to get truth. Like, why would I go to a bucket of dirty water and try to filter that when I've already got just pure filtered, you know, uh, flawless water? And so that that would be, um, and and I, I would just say one more thing here. At the very minimum, your pastor should be able to meet with you and walk you through that. I'm not saying he's certified. I'm not saying... That, that he's had biblical training and counseling I certainly would advocate that but um at a very minimum this is discipleship so the pastor should be able to if 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 you're struggling with anxiety he should be able to find a couple passages that specifically address anxiety if you're going through suffering he should be able to find a couple passages that and have a theology of suffering if not I, I don't mean to be mean I would either encourage him to go get some training in that or you may need to find a new church so there should be some if i can say free uh discipleship counseling available to you at a very minimum um but that's that's another question
0: sure and with cbt uh in view i mean i'm thinking of philippians 4 think on these things i'm thinking about second corinthians 10 uh take these thoughts captive and so the culture in best case scenario, is just mimicking what is there in scripture is how we can change, not just change our thinking, but root it out at at cause, at the source. Question number eight, what can I do if I'm feeling stuck in this cycle, feeling that I would need more time to fix underlying issues, but still keep up with work and family responsibilities? So there seems to be a tension here of a cycle. I'm feeling bad. I can't like if it's gonna take a while to fix all these underlying issues, but then I've got work and family responsibility going on at the same time, I feel stuck in this cycle.
1: Yeah, that's a hard one to answer just because they're you know, everyone we, we go through seasons in life. Um here at our church, we we uh some of the deacons, you know, we give permission, others we've asked just to step back because whether it's having a child and you know, a new newborn and they've already have five children or, um, you know, that loss of the parent has moved in or two parents have moved in and they, they require full time. Like there, there's different seasons in our lives. So I don't want to give a blanket statement, but I I would say we all have 24 hours in, in, in the day and we have to prioritize, um, you know, to, to say to someone, I just don't have time is really saying, I, that's not one of my priorities. And so I I would just say, you've got, you're going to have to think through what is a priority in your life. If, if truly changing in a redemptive way is of, of vital importance to you, and it should be for all of us, you know, you're going to start with, with what God says is most important, which is coming corporately to worship together. You're going to, you're going to pursue casting your cares on him. You're going to pursue confessing your sins once and you're going to do the things that God has prioritized for that to happen. Um, If that means you, you switch jobs, we have a family in our church. He just told me, Hey, I'm not getting the appropriate sleep. It's causing a lot of different problems in their, their relationships. And he said, Hey, I've come to the place where I need to take a pay cut and I need to go on day shift. Like that's a wise decision for him. So I think, I think you just have to prioritize and think through biblically, what again what is what is most important what is my treasure and hopefully it's biblical and then go from there and make appropriate decisions and god, god will always bless that because um that that is what we're living for um uh, out, of, out of the abundance of the heart you know there, there's treasures will, will guide um uh, you know they're, they're coming from the heart and they will they will guide what we say what we do what we plan etc our entire life will be based out of out of that that uh, process, I'm thinking of Pro, uh, Proverbs chapter four to guard our heart with all diligence, because of out of it are the issues of life.
0: In one sense, it sounds like financial planning or time management, uh, where you have a, a a third party come in and you know, do you really need e- ESPN? Of course, as probably yes, if you uh, watch sports, uh, do you need this? Do you need that? Uh, it it also seems like you know that's God's kindness when we get to the place to where we're burning out to use a cultural label uh, that could be God's mercy to us to let us know uh, that we're over our skis a bit and and we just need to draw back I know you've been there I've been there uh there are heavy demands on our schedule and sometimes we get to that place uh to where it's like I, I'm just I feel stuck in this cycle because I feel family responsibilities and and I, I feel that, you know, the work is, is unending. Uh, but when I feel those pressures, this is when Lucia and I have to sit down and talk and say, I, I like what you say. There's only 24 hours in the day and I'm no different from anyone else. And so God is kindly letting me know that, you know, I need to make some adjustments because we can't go on like this. Number nine, how would you encourage and give wisdom to someone whose spouse is in the midst of depression or anxiety? My husband sometimes has a hard time knowing when he should push me and challenge me and when he should be sympathetic and comforting. And so apparently the wife is struggling in the midst of depression and anxiety, and she's asking, how would you encourage and give wisdom to someone Um Who doesn't know? Should he push? Should he challenge? Should he be sympathetic? Should he be comforting? This is the Kenny Rogers question. Uh, When do you hold them? And and when do you fold them? And so you're the husband of a wife that struggles with depression and anxiety. How should he care for her?
1: Again, uh, really, really loaded question there, because when we're talking about depression, um, we could be talking about not sleeping you know a lot of people are diagnosed as majorly depressed just simply from insomnia um and and again nine out of the 12 symptoms are are qualifying as sleep related sleep dysregulation sleep deprivation etc so um you could have that you could have uh, someone is in in deep sin uh like like david we've mentioned from psalm 32 um, it affects the physical nature. It affects sleep. It affects uh, you you should be in a depressed state. So you know, i would I would warn against um, just making a blanket statement there about again, even anxiety. Uh, Paul was anxious in second Corinthians about the church, and clearly that's not a sin. It's the same word used in Philippians chapter four. So, there's, there's, and, and, and by the way, in the context of Philippians four, it's broken relationships. If you start in verse one and look at the context, he's giving us a playbook for helping others through, uh, uh, you know, uh, relational struggles. And I think we grab that verse, uh, take it out of context and along with thinking on these things. And again, I don't think it's a, a bad principle, but in the context, he's not saying that there aren't times to be anxiety is being honest. It's, like if you're on a cliff and you're anxious that you might fall, that's a healthy fear there. That's an honest assessment that I'm in a place that I could easily fall. It's not saying you're in sin because you're now concerned about falling off this cliff. Like you you probably should do everything you can to get out of that situation. So I, I think we have to describe and define and take in context scripture. Uh, so anxiety and depression, I just wouldn't make a blanket statement about. Um, but I also think that if you study Scripture, they're they're in God's sovereignty. Uh, sorrow is always given to us as part of God's sovereignty. And I know as a husband, you don't want your wife to suffer. You don't want her to suffer physically. You don't want her to suffer spiritually. You want you want to understand where she's coming from. I mean, if if we look at Second Peter chapter three verse seven, it's husbands learn to to. Or is it First Peter? First Peter three, uh, verse seven. Yeah. Learn learn to live with your wives in understanding so it, it, we need to understand more than we try to talk them out of like i'm i'm a problem solver i want to help my wife in any way i okay. can and i think that's a right husbandly you know godly christlike thing i want to don't misunderstand what i'm saying here be my wife's savior not not in a, a sacrilegious way but in a in a godly way, you know, Christ laid down His life for us, Ephesians five, and I'm to lay down my wife, and that's what I mean by being being her. I'm certainly not saving her in in a uh, uh, soteriology, biblical right. theology way, but mimicking, uh, exemplifying that that desire, and so I think that's a struggle that that we men have. And and when our wife just says, I just want you to, I don't want you to problem solve. And by the way, wives, you can explain this to your husbands. My wife right. does this. Like, I just want you to listen to me here and understand what I'm going through, not try to give me eight different ways that we can solve this problem. Um, put, your that t- actually, put, your,
0: put your toolbox down, Daniel.
1: Yes. And and that that frustrates, uh, when we first got married, that would frustrate my wife. And it would frustrate me because I really wanted to love her and so, like, okay, I can solve this problem. So, Here's eight ways to get to, to Reno, you know, but it, that's not what she was looking for. She was looking for me just to listen to what she was going through and and try to understand. And so now I've I've learned if if I just listen and and really truly are empathetic, not in a fake way, but in a, okay, I'm 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 trying to, I don't understand, but I, I want to hear more. I want to understand. She really appreciates that. So I, I would say the same thing and then understanding God's sovereignty and allowing sorrow to come into our life. We could go to Lamentations chapter 3. We could go to Philippians chapter 2 and see God in his sovereignty allows these things to happen. He allows sorrow. He withholds sorrow. And when we start understanding, okay, it's not my job to talk my spouse out of their, their difficulty all the time or even preach at them or or misunderstand what their sorrow actually is. Um you know again calling depression it could just be she's not sleeping so here i am preaching at her how dare you not trust in the lord and it's really a problem she's going through hormonal changes and menopause which is causing her not to sleep which is, got you know all these things get so confounded and so we have to be careful um how we're, we're answering those questions even
0: yeah I, I like what you say about uh we can't codify or standardize our answers, uh, especially this one. I mean, every situation is different, so I appreciate that caveat there. The reason I was laughing so much is because uh, Lucia's mother, this is not the funny part, this is the sad part, but her mother her mother's at the end of life. And so Lucia has been giving her a lot of care over the past couple of months. And she's quite frankly, she's just exhausted. And she came home, was driving home from her mother's house a couple of weeks ago, actually right before we went to Canada. And and she was just talking. And I did exactly what you said I should not do. And uh, I went into fix it mode and didn't catch it. I did not catch it. And then uh, a couple of days later, you you know it came to mind i said you got to be kidding me i'm talking to myself why did you do that that's not what that conversation was about she just wanted somebody to talk to and so i went to i said baby i'm sorry i i i am so dumb i actually i was not even i was listening but i was listening the wrong way you just needed somebody to talk to you needed a sounding board her soul's fine. Uh, she didn't need any tweaking. She didn't need my craftsman tool set at that moment. Uh, she just needed a listening ear. So that's why I was laughing a while ago. But then the other thing that you say was really smart, I thought. Uh, and I have to do this too. Just ask her, how can I best care for you? Uh, sometimes I talk about the companionship of suffering, the companionship is suffering and leadership. Uh, If we don't lead ourselves through our suffering, we will not suffer well. And so when Jesus came out of Gethsemane, he was leading his disciples because they were not doing a bang-up job. But that's typically what happens when we're suffering. And fortunately, we, we miss the leadership piece. And so we don't lead ourselves well. And so this would be an opportunity for the wife to lead in that sense and, and just having some clear-headed conversation about what would be helpful or not. And you know, and this is what your wife has done. Uh Daniel, please put the tools down. Uh, but she's well, leading and- herself through the suffering.
1: Yeah, and I think I think it's not that, that we're sinning as, you know, you weren't sinning right, to, right. 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 It's just, it, it, that's learning to know each other. And and right. for newlyweds that might be listening to this, that takes time, you know, we, we right. and, and why shouldn't expect their husbands to fully under, I mean, <laughs> uh, I've been married over 20 years now and I'm still learning. I still struggle with understanding you uh, not, not just at times what she is saying, but the, the intent behind it. So that's where questions come in. Like what, what, do you want me to help you through this, or you just want me to listen and and truly walk walk with you? Um, so that that's just communication thing there, and um, but I think it should also be a blessing to wives that their husbands want to solve their you know they want Absolutely. to 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 do what they can, and I think that's an innate and godly uh, thing that God puts in us. I mean, if they didn't care, that's a whole other issue, right? Like. I, I asked my husband for counsel, and he says, I don't care what you do. You know, that that's a, that's a whole other issue. But um, so, yeah, I, I I think there's a good balance there.
0: Well, that is counsel. Uh, <laughs> true, <laughs> it's very, true. It's, it's very bad counseling. All right, number two. I went to a Christian professional counselor uh, several years ago before I knew about biblical counseling and found his teaching on retraining our neuropathways through taking our thoughts captive to be very helpful. Can this kind of teaching be considered biblical or is it problematic to con- combine scripture with a scientific explanation?
1: Uh, very good question. There's there's two sides to this. And um, so I'm gonna address both sides. They're not conflicting. Uh, they actually you know, kind of match up very well. Um, and I'm going to use the word neuroplasticity because it's a kind of a buzzword. Uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, I've been traveling to Brazil here uh, a good good amount. And so early July, I was down there and I was speaking at a conference. And uh, one of the, the, we had many physicians at the conference. And one of them is a neuroscientist. He was heavily involved in uh, the University of, of Sao Paulo, Brazil, did a really cool, brain study where they slice brains up into very very thin pieces uh, photograph them all and you can literally go into a physical brain digitally it's a really cool process and they did this with different disease people like people with alzheimer's disease so you can actually medical students can study brains without a without having a physical corpse there in front of them and uh, it's pretty pretty neat so he was part of this process and uh, it, it was funny after one of my uh, uh, workshops, one of my plenary sessions, he, he he and I had coffee for about an hour and a half with a couple other physicians. And he said, you know, it's in Brazil, uh, Christians are all hung up on neuroplasticity. And I, I guess I should define neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is the process of uh, kind of two, two parts of what the brain does. It remaps itself. So if you have an injury, uh, it can actually uh, transfer... Uh, function to another part of the brain. Um, And then the other part of neuroplasticity is it's it's constantly adapting. As we learn, it creates new neural pathways. And essentially, if I can use the computer term reprograms, constantly reprogramming itself. And so the more you habitually think about something and the more you behave, the brain responds to that. It's the exact opposite of what we're told that the brain Uh, kind of determines our personalities our character our thoughts our emotions etc it's the exact opposite we're actually controlling our brains so uh he was he was saying like even in biblical counseling in brazil neuroplasticity has become like this major theme like let's have a whole conference on just neuroplasticity. let's have workshops and and the reality is neuroplasticity is happening all the time it's not a it's not a like secret It's not a spell. It's not like some magic bullet. Like if I just, if I can trigger neuroplasticity, then I'll heal myself. But that's exactly what uh, specifically the book um, uh, by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. Uh, who it's just, you know, uh, blame it on the, or or the body keeps the score, excuse me.
0: Yeah. I was going to uh, ask you about that book. Yeah. Good.
1: Yeah. It, it's, it's become like, uh, and the irony is it's not all his work. He actually got this from somebody else, which is another thing. And there's a, been a lot of debunking theory. There's a ton of falsehood, but I cannot tell you how many Christians have bought into this and have, have. and that's actually going back to if anyone watched, who's watching this, the previous Uh, uh, thing we did together here, answering these questions, it goes back to that whole bioreductionistic and biodeterministic concept. And that's what he's actually advocating that your bodies make, if you go through trauma, you have no say in how you respond, that your amygdala is now damaged and that's causing all your problems and and too bad, that's that's who you are. And that's simply not true.
0: You are a victim to your body. uh, Right, right.
1: right. Now, I'm not saying that trauma doesn't cause problems to the amygdala, It absolutely right. does, and 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 by the way, specifically again, it causes distress, anxiety, and sleep problems, which is a lot of what they're calling post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, incidentally as well. So we go back to that centrality of of sleep problems again, um, and and what they found is the amygdala does heal itself when you begin to think right. So here here's what I want to say if I can just simplify: if you really follow. What God says in His Word, and you pursue Christ, and you learn to to truly meditate on His Word, and and when when the Bible talks about salah or or being still and knowing that He is God, and learning to just breathe and and cast our cares on the Lord, and realize that we have a truly believe that we have a sovereign God that is in control, then then you will see, and, and it's a process. It's not like okay, I did it and it's all over. It's a day by day thing. It's a moment by moment. Uh, I, I was anxious about a situation this morning that I had to deal with that it was an injustice that I, I was getting notification of suspension of license that I don't even know where this was coming from. I had to go down there and, and I was anxious and I had to cast my care on the Lord last night. I go down there and it wasn't even five minutes I was there. And they're like, oh yeah, that's not a problem. And I'm like, here I had made this big thing in my mind, not knowing where this was coming from, like what is going on? and And I had to take those thoughts captive. I had to cast my my care on the Lord. Well, by doing that, I was controlling my my neuroplasticity, if I can say it that way. If yeah. I had gone the anxious route, I would have been doing the same thing. I would have been forming bad- uh, uh, neural connections that that would have led. so if if we're just focused on pursuing the Lord, the neuroplasticity, the brain responds accordingly. And and what secularists are teaching is we have to focus on changing the brain to have healing. And that is just simply not true. Um, it will happen if you, uh, if I can reference just Proverbs chapter three, Proverbs chapter four, Proverbs cha- like if we fear the Lord and depart from evil, it will be healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones, right? If we give attention Proverbs four uh, to the things of the Lord and the wisdom of, of godly people in our life, uh, it will bring healing to our flesh, it says. That's not an accident. Um, but what we're being told is focus on the flesh. And we even have uh, alleged biblical counselors advocating that, hey, if the Bible doesn't work, then let's start talking about neuroscience and neuroplasticity. And those are two different fields. And and, and we need to stay focused on, on allowing our minds to dictate what our, our bodies do.
0: Yeah, it makes what Paul said in 423 of Ephesians, uh, renewing the mind, a very important verse. Uh, you can just make a note uh, when you have time in the future. Uh, we can do a 30 minute episode on the body keeps a score. I would love to. Uh, that's a question that we get somewhat regularly uh, because of the popularization of that book, even though it's a few years old now. Number 11 yep. Yep. Should we avoid counseling people through things we ourselves have not gone through personally?
1: Um, I would say wisdom doesn't come through experience. It can. Um, it certainly adds another dimension. I think it brings us into the Second Corinthians 1 Pauline experience where he said, the comfort that I received, I now comfort others. Uh, it certainly equips you with a life degree, which is, uh, you know, I, I have four degrees and, and I've started a, a, a fifth. Um, so I think I can speak on this, that life degrees are often more valuable than than academic degrees, um, but it doesn't mean that that you don't have the wisdom. That, my assistant pastor is our children's pastor. He's not married and he doesn't have children, but he can give wisdom because it's not his wisdom. It's God's wisdom. And that's a a, a misunderstanding I think we sometimes have. So just because you haven't been through something doesn't mean you can't counsel. But I will tell you, walking through with people of the very things that I've been through has been incredibly helpful to people. Um, and it certainly adds that, that I mean, God makes it clear that, that he allows us to go through suffering so that we can go comfort. And Paul said the same thing. Um, so it doesn't mean you can't counsel that, but it certainly puts you in a place to uh, maybe even a responsibility then to counsel in those situations when God has given you that comfort and has given you that that um, compassion.
0: If the DSM is unreliable, are there resources that are informed by Scripture and medicine that you would recommend?
1: Um, I mean, the the true science and Scripture are the the resources and. Um, the problem that we have as Christians is we bought into scientism too, too often. And by scientism, I'm talking about, again, materialism or bioreductionism that, that everything can be reduced to uh, sci- science will deliver us essentially. And we saw that during COVID. Um, so when, when I talk about science, I'm talking about the natural world. Um, God spoke the natural world into existence. Hebrews makes this very clear. If that is true, I mean, Genesis 1 makes that clear. If that is true, then the word of God and the natural world are both the word of God. Now, I'm not saying we can get saved from the natural world. I mean, this is a theological discussion, but we've got special and natural revelation. And the point I'm trying to make is the truth already exists in nature and the truth exists in the word of God. And so the lens, our presupposition has got to be the authority of the word of God that interprets the natural world. Uh, the natural world in scripture always points us to the supernatural word. You go through you know, Proverbs teaching the son, hey, look at the slugger. He doesn't have a supervisor. He doesn't have an adult. He doesn't have a parent. And yet he fulfills his response. Uh, you go to Ecclesiastes 1, hey, look at the wind, look at the sun, look at the 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 water, the the rivers. They're never satisfied. And then he points us to the eye and ear. Hey, you and I are never satisfied. And, and so he's using nature, even our physical nature, to point us to a reality, uh, to a psychology, if you would, of our soul that you and I are going to constantly look for satisfaction. And, and we can't fix what is broken. Ecclesiastes. We could go on and on. Um, nature and scripture are always unified. It's the interpretation of nature that are disunified. Um, one of, one of the things in this new book that, that I've written on, The Construct of Schizophrenia, is a real understanding of trying to, and maybe I should just write a book on this at some point. But secular's view of science is literally if I speak something into existence, I can make it happen. So it's, it's kind of similar to this, this uh, prosperity gospel, and you name it and claim it, that we see even in Christianity, that if I speak something into existence, I can make it happen essentially, we're playing God. And we understand that God spoke everything into existence. So their view of science is literally, it doesn't yet exist. And it actually isn't empirically sound. But if I say it long enough, I can actually evolve it into existence. That's why they actually believe that gender dysphoria or transgenderism should be accepted as true, even though all the empirical evidence says it's not. They're, They're literally advocating that if I Proclaim something to be true. I can actually develop it into truth. Um, that That is also true with the concept of schizophrenia, bipolar. They know there's no physicality. In other words, no one's ever found these constructs in nature. They don't exist in nature. But they're treated as if they exist in nature, if that makes sense. Um, right. They're just concepts. They're ideas. But we're told they exist in nature. At another time, we can do maybe a, an entire uh uh episode on on unicorns uh they they form a really good example of of how this works Uh, how we can describe ideas and concepts we can have a universal when i was in brazil when i've been in romania when i've spoken in egypt and other countries they understand what unicorns are but no one's ever seen a unicorn so we can we can describe it we can even put it in the dictionary but we a concept doesn't mean it's true, and that's what their idea of, of science is. If I say it long enough, if I develop it long and long enough, then I can actually create it into existence. That's what evolution is teaching. We so if someone, say, said,
0: if someone says, "I am the science," that should
1: be a that should be a red flag. <laughs> that should be a huge red flag, right? <laughs> and 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 but that is exactly that keys in on this philosophy. What we're saying is that truth already exists. Right. They're saying that we actually develop truth into existing. We say that science is the discovery of what is already true in nature. I want to go to the evidence and I want to look at it. Uh, one, one of the things that I'm doing in, in my my new book on schizophrenia is I'm specifically laying out every bit of what they're calling empirical evidence and showing that it's directly related to sleep problems. So in other words, let's take this mystical concept out. We already have a valid explanation for everything they're calling from cognitive decline to what they call catatonia. Like it all makes perfect sense when you look at insomnia as the as the root problem of psychosis, not this mystical thing. And and when you do that, you're saying, okay, the truth already exists. My job as a scientist is to actually discover the truth and rightly interpret it, not to develop truth into existing. Those are completely two different approaches. So we believe that God spoke the truth into existence. We're going to go find it, whether it's in the Word of God or in nature, and we celebrate science.
0: Yes. So let me add one thing that Daniel's not going to say. Uh, are there any re- Are there any resources that are informed by Scripture? So in addition, uh, I will have a, a link in the show notes to both of these parts that we're doing here. Ah, uh, to his books, and uh, Dan, you you want me to link Amazon, or is your uh, personal website still up? Does it, it matter?
1: It is Amazon's probably the easiest way. Yeah, that way, you don't have to manage it, yeah. unless it's a bulk order, and then they can write me personally.
0: Yeah, and with Amazon, it'd be cheaper for them to order from Amazon Canada, uh, the folks that we're doing this yep. for, or wherever they may live. Uh, but I would recommend uh, his resources. How many just how many books have you written?
1: Uh, With with the schizophrenia book and another book that will be coming out, it'll be 14 books. So uh, right now there's 12 available.
0: Yep. So you're going to see a long list of books. And so uh, anyway, I wanted to get that in there. Number 13, can a Christian agree with everything you have taught today and still experience feelings of anxiety and depression?
1: Knowing you, you probably taught that you should have anxiety and depression in this fallen world. Uh correct, if, if, correct.
0: Just um, yeah. normal. Yeah. Normal. Yeah. Yep.
1: Do you and have a so, book on
0: normal? Or abnormal?
1: I uh, sure I sure do. Uh yes, called Saving Abnormal. Um, but it it, you know, going back to that, that is a vital difference in the presuppositions that we have with secularism. We would advocate that our default, is in other words, anxiety isn't something we fall into. Depression is not something we fall into. Depression and anxiety are the honest reality. If I'm really honest about the brokenness of this world, Christ said, in this life, you will have sorrows. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, we, we sorrow as believers when we lose loved ones, but not like those who have no hope. You know, we, we start in Genesis 3, we go to Revelation 21. Uh, finally, when we see Christ face to face, sorrow and tears and death and pain will be done away with. So if we buy into secularism, we see severity of these things as abnormal because that's what they, they've abdicated. Uh, that's what the evolutionary teaching is. If we look at a biblical model, we understand that this is what we should be experiencing. So not only should they experience anxiety and not only should they experience times of despair and just utter sorrow, uh, that is the right response to this fallen life. Jesus went through – I wouldn't say anxiety, but he went through deep sorrow to the point right. of death, he says, in the Gospels. So um, we we need to start teaching our children – this is reality, that they're going to go through suffering and trauma and not wait until they go through it. Um, it it's it's a different paradigm. It's a different presuppositional view, but it is a biblical view. And so I, I know you taught this, so I can confidently say, yes, you, you should yep. face those things. And there's biblical explanations. There's biblical understanding. There's biblical ways forward uh, for them
0: yeah and it could be that uh you know god is using this to keep that clay pot fragile so that yep. we know that the power uh, belongs to god and not to us and so there's an aspect not only just Are we normal? Uh, But there's a theology of suffering, peace, that could be part of that. I know that that is subjective, but we can't fall into the ditch of fatalism. I resign. This is the way I'm going to always be. But we can't fall into the other ditch that I shouldn't be this way at all. And so there's wisdom that's moving down this middle space. What hope is there for someone who has been diagnosed and medicated for clinical depression and psychosis and still experiences strong delusions? How can God's word supplement or replace that person's current treatment? Would you advise that person to get off their meds gradually?
1: Uh, This goes back to um, schizophrenia specifically or psychosis um, in particular in the question. Uh, being a failure to explain. So I would have to sit down with the family and and specifically find out. Uh, Let let me say it this way. There's always a rational explanation to why a person's in psychosis, always. Even if the physicians or the family members aren't aware. So sometimes that that has taken me a year and a half to get to why a person has gotten to the point of not sleeping. Uh, Cannabis is is, uh, suggested within secular literature right now to be 50 to 60% of all new cases of people being labeled as schizophrenic. And there's a reason for that. Uh, cannabis withdrawal causes severe anxiety and actually keeps people from sleeping. So while you're taking cannabis, it it blunts the amygdala, it allows you to not, you know, fear and, and, and uh, fight and flight kind of responses are just completely uh, uh, minimized to the point where something that should cause fear, you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. But when you go off of it, it does the exact opposite. And now instead of sleeping, which is why a lot of people try to take cannabis, now they're at a heightened state and they can't sleep and they're anxious and they start getting nervous and they go into these episodes, which leads to psychosis. So by secular statistics, and again, they're not mine, 50 to 60% of all new cases are caused by uh, cannabis use. Well, if you, if you're dealing with someone, let's say a, um, uh, someone in college and you don't know that they just try cannabis for the first time uh, and they've been doing it now for a couple of weeks and then now now they've run out of money and so they're going through withdrawal and you're you're entering in in this crisis, you're not having time. You're, you're wanting that to be dealt with and you take them and they get diagnosed. You're not finding out what's the actual cause of that. You're not finding out what's really going on. And I've already mentioned this. It, there's many things that could be going on. So I can't just make a blanket statement, but what I can give is kind of a practical way to walk through this. Number one, you need to find out what the valid cause of the sleep problems are. And, and keep in mind, all psychosis is caused by, by sleep problems. If they stop tr- taking these, these drugs that they've been on and become dependent on, let's say it's 12 years, 10 years, eight years, uh, that withdrawal from antipsychotics, from, from these neuroleptics, major tranquilizers, is, is they call it withdrawal syndrome is even worse because the damage that's been done to, to the dopaminergic system. Um, so the, there's going to be dysregularity of sleep. There's going to be, especially if they went cold turkey, which is incredibly dangerous. Uh, anyone who's listening, I highly recommend if you if you want to do that, that you go to a licensed physician that is skilled in what's called tapering or deprescribing. Do not try to do this on your own. Certainly don't do it cold turkey. These are very dangerous and powerful drugs, and it needs to be done uh, through a professional. Um, but it's not that scripture is replacing drugs. I think that's a, a false paradigm. Uh, all those drugs can do is tranquilize. That 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 is what they're called, major tranquilizers. So what that person's been doing is been tranquilized, which again, leaves you in a very drugged, uh, sleepy state. I mean, that's one of the benefits that people say it has. It's also one of the complaints that people have is they feel like they're never coming out of the dream state? They're in a trance. They're they're in a tranquilized state when they're on these drugs. Um, one of the ladies who was diagnosed as schizophrenic, who's who's uh, written a, a endorsement already for my my new book. Uh, she's now an advocate against uh, psychiatric treatment. For years, she was told her uh, she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And again, this is public going to be public knowledge. Right. right. Um, she um, is just, uh, she's saying like, nobody helped me through the sexual abuse that I went through. And even in her endorsement, she says this, um, there was a valid reason why she wasn't sleeping. Because if you think about it, the, the guy who was molesting her was visiting her at night for several weeks. And so she began to be anxious about going to sleep because that's when he was coming into her room. and And that's not just a normal and right response to what was happening to her. You can understand how that anxiety began to. It wasn't just a, a superficial thing. This was a honest assessment that this guy, I need to fear because he's he's violating these these moral, uh, uh, rightful, biblical, and social uh, norms, and he's taking advantage of me in a horrific way. So she began to think that, and then you can understand why paranoia then became the the aspect of the delusion which by the way, all the statistics show this, it's directly related to forming these habitual habits of anxiety uh, when, when, when sexual abuse is involved. So again, all this is explanatory. Everything makes sense rationally. When you put this pseudo explanation on and, and you just leave it at that, there can be no help. So I, w- I would have to walk people through exactly what's going on um, in their life, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And uh, we're heading into the lightning round now. Uh, we, have, <laughs> we have 15 minutes left. And by the grace of God, we're going to get through these uh, last eight questions, I think. <laughs> At what age would you advise parents to allow their kids to have their own cell phone? 35, or you go below that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: What's a cell phone? Um, (laughs) No, uh, for our oldest daughter, we decided uh, the end of eighth grade, and that was just because she was mature enough. But at the same time, we're having to put regulations because we don't want her to be controlled by that. We really want her to get a break from her friends that's healthy. And second of all, we want to spend time with her as a family so um in fact we just had this conversation again last night she's she's pretty good about doing her schoolwork and things but then then we want to spend time with her um she's in ninth grade now and uh mature godly uh by god's grace but that's not necessarily true with all of our kids so we've already told all of our kids we're going to have to discern when you're ready for that and even then we don't allow them on social media uh with the exception of of um uh, Instagram that I have access to. So she's posting, she asked permission to post. Uh, again, she's at a mature level spiritually that she's not posting things. We had uh, long discussions about that. So I don't think it's an age per se. I think it's more of a maturity thing. Um, right. and quite frankly, looking at my own life, I wouldn't have been mature enough until I was, you know, even a junior in college to have social media. I could not have handled a phone so um you know if i was honest um but again it's different for everyone
0: yeah dead duck i'd be a dead duck all right so there's maturity there's mandates uh i want to throw in melatonin there as well uh looking at devices late at night uh does trick the body and it does disrupt the sleep uh, that children have. And so there, there needs to be uh, that discussion as well. Some Christian counselors believe we need to learn to forgive God for a life of disappointments. What do you think about this concept, Daniel?
1: <laughs> uh, I, I would think that would imply sin because forgiveness uh, requires sin. And so that's the easy answer. You would have to make God out to be a sinner to forgive him. Um and so that's a very heretical view
0: if a person struggles with anxiety or depression they are normal again i was sharing this at the conference does that mean if you don't struggle at the same extent then you're more spiritual if one child has adhd and one doesn't
1: how does that fit with spirituality uh first first question um uh I think I think maturity in Christ allows us to cast our cares more easily on him. I know in my own life, uh, you know, one of the things I still struggle with right now, and I think we've talked about this, is who are my kids going to marry? You know, I think if you're really honest about life, you should be anxious about who your kids are meeting and talking with and potentially committing to in a covenant relationship. So that that's an honest assessment that that's not in my control. Um, but I have to cast that on the Lord. I have to depend on the sovereign again. So I, I, it's, I think some of this has to do with just being honest. Like if I'm not dwelling on who my kids are going to marry me, for me personally means I'm not praying for them as I probably should, which means then I have to really focus that, that thought and that, that energy on praying and casting my care on the Lord instead of trying to manipulate things. And trying to go get a shotgun or, you know, what what school and, you know, what convent to send them off to. I'm, I'm joking. But, you know, in all seriousness, we do things like that. Like we try to maneuver things. And um we can do a lot of damage in doing that. So I, w- I wouldn't always say it's an indication that you're more, more mature in Christ, although maturity should mean that you're immediately, you know, if someone tells me my parents are about to die, the immediate response should be anxiety. I hope I get to see them. That That's an honest, right response to this world. And then at some point, whether it's seconds later or minutes later or an hour later, I should be, Lord, would you please allow me to see them? Would you please allow this not to be suffering as they pass into eternity? Would you, you know, now I'm casting my care on him. Um, but I think everyone's immediate response, because this is our default. This is who we are. We're anxious. I, again, it's not something we fall in. It's not something that comes over us. This is who we are. We are anxious and it's a piece that passes human understanding. We have to cast our, it's not normal to cast our care on, 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 on God. So that's question number one. Question number two, in regards to ADHD, um, all of the ADHD symptoms are normal. We did a video specifically about that, that you can look at the construct of ADHD. Um, uh, There, there are basically multiple reasons why children are labeled as, as being, uh, or as having ADHD, the, the, again, ADHD is a failure to explain as well. Um, usually it's an interest deficit, not an attention deficit. So they can play video games for hours at, on end without blinking, they can pay attention or give interest to things that are of interest, uh, but, but um, compared to autism that across the board, they struggle to pay attention. So I won't take too much time with that answer.
0: The next question, I'm going to say that it it has been answered, but I'll read the question anyway. If a child is on ADHD meds, is that wrong? How would you move away from that? And I would just recommend that you watch both uh, segments here, part one, part two, There's been so much information given on that question. And then also uh, in the show notes, there'll be a link to Daniel's book on ADHD. But I I think the answer has been given throughout all that Daniel has said. A question number 19, please correct me if I've misunderstood, but am I hearing that there is no place for medication and treating mental health disorders? That one has been answered as well, but you just want to give a little soundbite on that one.
1: Yeah, just two things quickly. One is there there is actually no discovered mental disorder. So if we're talking about actual neurodegenerative or neurodevelopmental things like dementia, Alzheimer's disease, which are neurodegenerative, or autism spectrum disorder, which is a neurodevelopmental uh, problem, then those should never be considered mental disorders. If we're talking about constructs, in other words, they're they're devised literally. Guys sit around a table like for example, in the new text revised, they've created um, prolonged grief disorders. One of the new constructs that they've created to say, this is a mental disorder or schizophrenia, bipolar, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, those are all constructed categories. Literally people said, hey, let's call it this. And they just re-described what was already described. So none of those yeah. have, when there's, when there's a diagnosis, it's never found in the body. Second to that, uh, if you have, a um, uh, a psychosis, then they've created a corresponding label, an antipsychotic depression, antidepressant, um, antilytic anxiety. So they, they've created this model of c- circular reasoning. If there's, if there's a disease, we have to have a medicine. If there's a medicine, then that verifies that this is a disease, if it's a disease. And so you have this circular reasoning and I don't mean to be crass, but, uh, uh, drugs given for anxiety, drugs given for depression, they're given to men who prematurely ejaculate as well, because they're not treating any of these things. And they're given to all these things, like they're given to 12 different things. Uh, uh bowel syndrome, they're given SSRIs they're given alleged antidepressants. And again, I'm not trying to be crass. I'm just simply pointing out they're not actually, right. if I can frame them as treating this disease, now you actually believe this is a disease. But if I have no medicine to treat that, all I can do is blunt your feeling. And again, I think the therapeutic effect of antidepressants is to allow people to sleep. So I'm not saying there can't be some therapeutic benefit. I'm just simply saying there's a narrative created that medicines actually exist to treat these mental problems. And 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 these mental problems don't exist with physicality. They're, they don't exist in nature.
0: Yes, folks, this is the lightning round. And uh, we... <laughs> uh, it's not my intent to, uh, rush anyone here, but we're, I am up a, 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 a drop dead, a, a time limit, uh, on our rumble TV show. And so we have, uh, six more minutes and four more questions. You define schizophrenia as false fixed beliefs and suggested that this is normal. Most people don't believe that aliens are transmitting homicidal thoughts to them through their television and that we're in a tinfoil hat will prevent this. These individuals are actually ill and need treatment. Would you refer them to a psychiatrist to stabilize them so that they can come to a place where they can understand and receive God's word and truth and the healing that it provides? We're on the the lightning round here.
1: Short short, uh, answer and then a suggestion. Short answer is, uh, everything that is called schizophrenia again has a valid explanation apart from schizophrenia, and it always in anyone who's psychotic, it's because they're not sleeping. Either quality, quantity, or regulate regularity of sleep has been severely disrupted. So I'll I'll leave that at there. And then my second suggestion is maybe we can do a video just on psychosis and schizophrenia here down the road. Yeah,
0: And uh, it, it would tie into your book as well. That's forthcoming. Sure. And maybe maybe that sure. would be a good time to do it. Plus, uh, Body Keeps the Score. I'd be interested yep. in that one. Number 21. Also, I understood you say that the prosperity gospel has contributed to the rise in mental illness in North America. Uh, I'll have to go back and see what I said. Uh, may Oh, maybe probably in the context of um, depression
1: and anxiety.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's saying that you should you should not be that way. So yeah. it's the DSM way of saying that you're abnormal, and normal right. is what you were talking yep. about earlier in naming and claiming. All right, so it continues. Schizophrenia and bipolar illness are present globally and recorded throughout history. Did I misunderstand? Well, okay, so well, prosperity gospel is not the only problem with what we're Talking about here with schizophrenia and bipolar, and again, you've given a lot of information in the last two hours on that. But you have a sound bite that you want to drop as far as the global problem with schizophrenia and bipolar.
1: Yeah, uh, same same as schizophrenia, bipolar. Uh, all the the scientific literature shows that manic episodes are preceded by specifically sleep dysregulation and insomnia, and this is this is so whatever content is in the heart is going to be exposed more easily when we're not eating, we're not sleeping. We're not following God's ordered, uh, creative order. Um, and so that that's what we're seeing in bipolar, all the symptoms that are labeled as bipolar and Ecclesiastes too. We just see those when somebody's not sleeping, whatever content is in their heart is going to come out. And that's what we're seeing. How do you respond
0: to biblical integration as counseling that utilizes secular theories? Refers to them as common grace and bam, you get the best of both worlds.
1: Uh, this is a discussion between um I was talking to Dr. Ernie Baker about this. Um, this is a discussion between the philosophers Bavin and Van Till. Um, so Van Til is it's a presuppositional view. And I I would argue that a lot of what people are calling common grace and justifying secular theory is they just don't understand. The, the doctrines and religion behind what they're calling common grace. It would be like me saying, Hey, the Mormons have a lot of truth. So common grace would be to incorporate their teachings as well. And just kind of siphon through, you know, uh, when, when, when we don't have answers, we'll go to them. Uh, we would never do that with a false religion. And, and yet that's, that's what's being advocated. Again, again, that's I would just say we, we have a superior superior psychology to anything that is suggested to be psychology and secularism. It is the perfect psychology. That's a great
0: illustration, by the way, using the religious analogy. I may borrow that and uh, absolutely. Questions about meds. <laughs> this is the last one. We we're trying to counsel a person who says she does not have access uh, to her logical brain because of paralyzing anxiety. She is also on four medications, including Valium and two uh, benzos. How uh, interruptive are such meds to truly receiving biblical counseling to the heart? And and we're uh, we're at our time limit. So, again, quick, I, I'm, I'm sorry about that.
1: Yeah, I'll just quickly say, even even uh, the secularist Matthew Walker talks about uh, this specifically, that our, our rational, our ability to discern and be rational when we're not getting sleep is very much impaired. So we call that cognitive decline. Uh, benzos can do that, and they often do to, to numerous people. It's one of the side effects. So she very well could be, uh, or he, intoxicated under the influence, just like an alcohol, maybe even worse in many cases with psychiatric drugs, uh, to the point where they can't think rationally and clearly. And And sadly, it is a problem.
0: I appreciate Daniel. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving your time generously to answer all of these questions. They were all of them were outstanding, thoughtful, asking good faith, and it was a privilege to do it. And uh, thank you so much for those who you can listen to the podcast or watch the video. Thank you and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at
1: lifeovercoffee.com.